Visibility is defined as a state of being able to see or be seen. And that's according to the online dictionary. And what it has meant for me in the last few years is how do I show up on social media all the time to showcase my brand and business? And it's been a huge learning curve, to be honest, especially for someone who wasn't born on the internet. So I learned the internet, probably, I think it was like when I was 10 or maybe in my teenage years, but it's also shifted my energy and focus trying to learn how to show up in a way that sells online. However, there is so much more strategy and depth to showing up and a lot of it starts within and honoring self. So that's kind of where I've come to and what I've realized. So when I had a coffee chat with May Kate saying last month, I expressed feelings of overwhelm with her, with me feeling like I have to say yes to everything and while trying to keep up with showing up and it was becoming no longer sustainable. So her insights really shifted my perspective. And today I'm so excited to welcome her on the show. So I'm welcoming Meike Singh. And today we're going to dive into the topic that she's a zone of genius in, in that sustainable visibility, what it is, what it means so that we can show up on our own terms. Welcome to the Focal Tangent Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Amlani, and in my years of business and entrepreneurship, I've learned a thing or two. I'm a brand strategist and photographer. I love a great brand and capturing businesses in action. However, what has always stuck with me is the uniqueness in every story and brand. This is a show all about connecting the power of storytelling mindset and brand strategy to bring to light the abundance of possibilities for creating the business of your dreams. Join me each week as I bring you impactful conversations with thought leaders in all areas of business branding and personal growth and be inspired by the unique stories of experience and grit that led to success they never thought possible. So let's dive into this week's conversation. Welcome, Mickey. Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, when you said you weren't the type of kid that was born on the internet, it just flashback moment of the dial-up internet days when you get the beep, beep, beep kind of sound. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, mom, don't use the phone. I'm trying to log on to my Neopets account. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know what Neopets is, this is kind of like, how do you describe it? You just have these virtual pets that you look after, you play games for their currency of money. But yeah, I remember spending many of my childhood days playing that on the internet with a dial-up kind of situation there. But hey, Natalie, thank you so much for inviting me onto Focal Tangent to help shift some perspectives around visibility. Yes, I can't wait. Okay, so I just want our audience to know a little bit about you. So if you don't mind introducing yourself. So if it was in the context of getting into entrepreneurship, that was something that I honestly never expected for myself, but I did know from quite a young age, I mean, probably like seven, I knew that I didn't want a quote unquote normal job. And even though when I was a kid, people would ask, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And while my friends were like, oh, I want to be a supermodel. I want to be an astronaut. And regardless of whether they became those or not, I had no clue whatsoever what my thing was. And my clues started to emerge in my teenage years when my peers would often say to me, okay, you're a really great listener. I wonder if you can do that for a living. And I was like, well, do you know what? I would love to check that out. And so I found, oh, I want to be a therapist. So 
I studied psychology at university and that was kind of like shift one because I kid you not, Natalie, day one of my degree, I just knew that this wasn't for me. I had to think to myself, well, I met the criteria for dad. I met the criteria for mom in regards to the ranking and the location of my university. And I should have felt like, I guess I should stick with this because I was also one of the few people in my class who also got their first choice and competition was very very strong around that time for universities because in the UK that was the last year before our university fees tripled from 3k a year to 9k a year so I felt like I had to really push through with that you know but when I denied myself of that internal roar that was like no don't do this I just denied it and denied it and I realize now when I look back in retrospect that I've gotten so used to stifling my own needs in order to appease other people. And I realize now that in my second year of university, I unfortunately fell into an abusive relationship. Details in which I won't divulge because that's not the point of the story, but I can see how the stifling of one's needs to appease others made me very vulnerable to be in that position. And I remember as that ended, I'm very, very glad that it was not a long-term relationship, but still had long-term impact. I knew for myself that I never, ever wanted to allow anyone to make me feel that helpless or powerless ever again. And that's when I started to listen to myself. I started taking care of my body, my mental health, and I had to really take a look at my career trajectory. I thought, I want to be a therapist. I want to be in the psychology field, but not if it means doing it this way, because it was very much stripped from the humanistic touch that I was yearning for. And it was very research orientated, which I understand, of course, is part of the field. However, it just wasn't jiving well with me. And so it was actually through the power of magical Facebook ads around that time, (laughs) because I was so interested in taking care of my health. I was like, the perfect target market, I guess, to be considered for this coaching certification in health coaching. And so I took it. And it probably wasn't the best idea that I did it at the same time during my final year of university, but lo and behold, I did it. And it was through that training that I learned firsthand that even if you're fantastic with your skills of the actual profession, that isn't enough if you don't have the business skills to match it. So I was a classic great coach, not a great business owner. So that started my journey of learning a lot from many mentors for public speaking, copywriting, community management, lots of things. And I actually wound up working with a mentor when it shifted from mentorship to an internship because this mentor actually wound up hiring me. And at the time, it felt perfect. It was like, oh, well, because I'm kind of like a struggling coach and I get to work with a coach who's making it work and I get to be behind the scenes and watch how everything's done, you should be perfect. And lo and behold, 13 live launches in a singular year, getting to six figures. Yeah, it teaches you a lot. <laughs> Amazing and definitely told as a cautionary tale, not a tale of inspiration because... 13 live launches with a team of two, as in me and the CEO. That's a lot. (laughs) But of course, at the same time, I can see that seeing all the skill sets and the strategies required in order to launch at the time, it was great for me to be able to pick up those skills, you know, when I was under someone else's wing. And slowly but surely, our visions of success started to diverge 
for my mentor slash boss, I guess, at the time. His version of success meant keep on going, keep on going, no matter what the cost. And that meant to me not being able to fully be present with my family. And I'll never forget, Natalie, that there was this one time when my little cousin, she was probably like five years old. Every Sunday, the family would come over to have family dinner. I was always on calls in the evening. And when I came down to kind of have my dinner that was wrapped in cling film, she came up to me before she left and said, Make it, we never see you anymore. Where are you? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm working on. And then that, that just kind of stirred something in me. And I knew that this way of quote unquote succeeding was not my version of it. And anyway, long story short, I knew that my version of success was different. And so as I've been meandering through many different roles, first of all, it was health coaching, then confidence coaching, video marketing, copywriting, podcast guesting, which is my specialty now. (laughs) But the common thread between it all was really about helping people to express themselves on their terms and not subscribe to anyone else's ideals of what success means. And there have been plenty of evolution since then. I mean, podcast guesting just turned out to be my version of sustainable visibility because I know how it works for me personally, how effective it is, how efficient it is. But that's not to say that's the case for everybody else. And so that's why I founded the Sustainable Visibility Movement, which has now been trademarked since 2020, because that whole movement is about holding that space as you get to explore and discover what that is instead of subscribing to everyone else's idea of what visibility means for you and instead having that space to kind of question is it right for me though? And what makes that successful for you? I want to understand why. It's not always the strategy itself, but the lenses that we carry, the identities we hold, the resources that we have, often things missed out of the conversation about why a strategy works. And so that's why sustainable visibility is understanding what's sustainable for you as a person. And so hopefully in this conversation, we'll be able to really unpack that today. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. And it's such a unique kind of way of bringing kind of success to people in a way that is aligned with their energy and time. Because it really hit a mark when you're talking about how your niece was asking you, like, how come you're not here? Because my son has said that to me on multiple occasions in the past couple of years, right? Mommy, you're always working, you're always on your phone or like, I don't bother because you're going to be busy anyways. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and that made me really sit back and I was like, oh no, because, <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't see it within yourselves until someone else and through the lens of a child, they really just say what's on their mind. There's like no filter. They just say what they see. And it's very innocent and it is what it is. And I was like, okay. So I had to sit with that and I can totally relate. And for that, I'm so excited to dive into this topic and really explore the magic of it and the possibilities that it can offer people. So when you talk about sustainable visibility and how it can really help us kind of reflect on whether or not it's right for us, how does that process begin like you can imagine someone stepping in and kind of working with you and they're feeling just completely overwhelmed you know what I mean how does one even start to begin to break down that process and kind of 
immerse themselves into this framework. Yes. So there are so many different starting points. And that's the thing with sustainable visibility. It's not a linear process, which to some, it can feel a little bit unearthing because we feel assurance when there's a step-by-step linear process right and that's probably why we subscribe to so many different strategies because oh that's a proven step-by-step method a blueprint all I need to do is copy it right and I can see why the ease of that is very appealing however how quickly it is to subscribe to it you can also not always but you can also experience how quickly that can start to fade out because we have there's an absence of our own critical analysis of whether it works for us you know we see someone who does it like oh if they can do it I can do it too and if the messaging is that or if I can do it you can do it too then we can often shut off our need to critically analyze of how much of it actually applies to you so when it comes to sustainable visibility I often talk with my clients around really assessing their capacity to be visible because what happens a lot Natalie is people do a lot of different strategies or they go all in for one and it works on the surface i.e I don't know their email is growing like three times faster than usual right or signing five clients in a week when they would struggle getting one in every month for example it can feel great on the outside but unless they have recalibrated internally about being prepared to receive all of this it's almost instinctive for us to actually shut it away because it's not familiar and it can feel like oh I'm not ready for this so that's why if you grow too much too soon without having the resources and giving yourself that room to recalibrate your receivership level then that's when we can kind of push it away. So it, there's a lot of conflict there. There's a friction. It's like, wait, there's a cognitive dissonance even. It's like, I say I want to be visible, but when I am, I don't want it. So, so this whole sustainable visibility work is about exploring our capacity, how it shifts and how we can work with it and not against it. Oh, wow. That is mind blowing. And I can totally see how that can happen, especially with growth that does happen too fast because you do want to receive it, but it does. I mean, it is possible to lead to burnout or to cycles of inconsistency and then trying to recover and show up again. And then it just happens over and over. What are your tips for kind of saying no or for kind of creating that growth that is more kind of even or like in a way that we can handle it? Mm, a pace that we can handle. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to actually saying no to opportunities, or do you mean deciding whether or not to take something or not? I think sometimes part of wanting to be visible is like you say yes to everything. You know what I mean? You say yes to all the opportunities that come. And you're like, yes, it's going to be exposure. It's going to be great. I'll do it. But it's not always aligned. Or maybe it doesn't align with your time frame, with when you are feeling energetically present. Okay. I have a couple of things here. And you said the word exposure. I definitely want to loop back to that because there's there's something that I always like to talk about when it comes to exposure <laughs> and how it's not as appealing as people make it sound. So 
but to answer your question first, saying no. So the filter question I personally asked myself, and it came up in yesterday's hot seat because I run a program around sustainable visibility and my clients both were reaching this point of friction. It's like, should I do this? Should I not? It's super exciting and I really want to do it. And it's going to be so amazing for the people, but I don't know if I can do it. And the filter question is, do I have the resources and the capacity to give this project this opportunity, the justice it truly deserves. And if there's any form of hesitation, I was like, uh, well, I'm, it, it, anything like that, then you know it's actually a no. <laughs> it's like, no, I can't give it full justice. And so it's hard to say no at first, especially if you're not used to it and you're like, oh, what if nothing else comes along? So that's why I need to say yes. If, you, if you're saying yes from that place, then it is from a place of scarcity. And understandably so, because I'm in a position now where I do get to be a lot more discerning. But at the beginning, I did say yes to a lot to, of opportunities. So, you know, just acknowledge where you're at and make the decisions with what you have and the resources you have access to. Because that's extremely important. So if you are in a place where you want to be more discerning and regardless of whether that happens or not, like the opportunity, that you can bounce back from it without it. So just, just wanted to say that there. So I'm going to give a pause here in case like I can see some notes being written here. So <laughs> Yeah. So what comes to mind right away is that sometimes the thoughts of being visible kind of could feel like, you know, take the opportunities that come because you want to shine and be in other people's audiences and say yes and say yes to everyone that comes so that you can become more well-known and that's how you're going to grow. And I just kind of wrote down the visibility doesn't mean saying yes to everything and then wanting to dive further into the conversation with you on what it does mean. Well, it can mean many different things. So you read out the dictionary <laughs> um, definition earlier on. And, you know, who am I to say that's wrong? Because it's not necessarily so, right? It's what you make it mean. And something that I make it mean are from a couple of different angles. So I said I'd loop back to the word exposure, right? So a lot of the time, the word visibility has been used synonymously with the word exposure. So someone reaches out to you and said like, hey, I'd love to invite you to this. You'd get exposure to X amount of people in my community, et cetera, et cetera. And because I'm a lot more sensitive to certain words because I am a trauma survivor and the word exposure is not appealing at all because it's rooted in violation, being caught off guard, being seen without your consent. So that to me is not appealing whatsoever. And I often invite people to consider what this could bring up for other people. And I'm very grateful to have cultivated such a community who is, they're very open to shifting their language when they realize that the roots of it are a lot more harmful than they probably realize. And so instead, I think of visibility as being seen by the people who you choose as much as possible not just being seen by anybody. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's a huge thing. Like saying yes to opportunities to be seen in front of a community who is open to these conversations. I mean, a conversation like this for sustainable visibility is not probably going to bode well in a 
kind of environment where there's no wiggle room for the nuance and there's only the step-by-step stuff. And there is value in step-by-step, don't get me wrong, and it's still part of my processes to a degree. However, the conversations that are more open-ended and sometimes they're intangible, it's the unseen stuff, it's the nuances, it can feel very uncomfortable for some people, which I completely acknowledge. And so that's why when I receive opportunities these days, I do have a back and forth dynamic before I say yes. Even with people I know, you know, I would ask questions like, I'm curious who else is in the lineup for the summit, for example, because I do care about representations of various groups that aren't always visible to the naked eye because a lot of summits, for example, we would now see a a lot more representation of different racial groups. However, beyond that, it's difficult because there are some identities that are hidden unless they tell you about it. If there are trans folk, for example, queer people, you otherwise wouldn't know that about them had they not revealed that. And actually, on that note, I actually created a whole offer called Conversing with Consent for podcasters who wanted to hold a more trauma-sensitive space with their guests because I had people from underrepresented groups come to me and say, Meike, I would love to be more visible, but I don't know who I can trust to hold me in a safe enough space to express myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if that surprises anyone, then that just goes to show the unknown privilege that we actually may be holding we have been holding all this time. So visibility isn't safe for everybody unless we have the resources to be supported in it. It feels like so many doors can be opened when it's positioned properly in a way that's inviting as well and open. Yeah, so it can be a very good thing, but it can also open the door to something that people aren't ready for either. And it's not just something that can be fixed with a mindset reframe. It's genuinely a threat to some people's safety when they reveal a part of themselves, a part of their story, a part of their identity that otherwise isn't openly accepted by various people, which is why it's important to know who we are being seen by as much as possible. And it's hard because when we get these opportunities, it feels like we are in the we're in like a hierarchical sort of like power dynamic here where it's like oh we should I should feel lucky because I got this opportunity and therefore I shouldn't ask too many questions but no in this case it's like well I deserve to feel safe enough to show up in a certain space so yes I'm going to ask you some questions and it takes time to develop that kind of confidence if you're quite new to it I mean I'm I've only recently over the past year or so really stood my ground for these sorts of things because now I realize that there's a very inequitable distribution of visibility opportunities available. And unless we speak about it, no one will know. Wow, that's so interesting. And then in terms of owning a business and wanting to show up to sell, but in a way that feels aligned and not energy draining, right? So you spoke about the 13 launches and yes, it made money, brought in the money in that year, but it wasn't like sustainable per se. So how does one kind of tap into that sustainable visibility in a way that still converts and will generate sales? Yes. So I recommend two E's at this point, which is 
effectiveness and efficiency. So effectiveness will be picking opportunities that have shown results for external measures of success, like leads generated, leads converted, or people who have chosen to work with you. I don't like calling people leads. And efficient in regards to how much it took of you, took from you to even implement. And it takes time to discover that. So earlier on, I said that podcast testing is my specialty, right? And the reason why it is, is because I did something that I'm telling now as a cautionary tale at the time. It seemed like something to be proud of, <laughs> but it's now a cautionary tale. And that is the fact in July 2019, that had been about a year or so when I left my mentor on the 13 launches, right? I knew I needed to accelerate my visibility work. So my mentors were like, oh, you should guest on podcasts, but they didn't really tell me anything beyond that. So I kind of figured it all out by myself. I true trial and error made some serious mistakes, but I challenged myself (laughs) to pitch to 101 podcasters in 30 days. And it wasn't copy and paste either. <laughs> it was like all of them were super personalized. And it was thanks to each of the, so I got a 33% booking rate, which is pretty phenomenal in the PR world. In the PR world, I think it's like two to 10% if you're like pretty good. And at the time I got 33%. And so anyway, apples and oranges, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, I actually asked the people who said yes, what made you say yes to my pitch? And they told me. So that's why my methodology, when I teach people how to book themselves on a live podcast, they are learning from a framework that was informed by 30 plus podcasters, (laughs) which is great. And it was throughout that process, I realized I love doing podcast interviews because it's a one-on-one conversation and I'm an introvert as well. And I love deep conversations, but at the same time, even though it's a one-on-one experience for the actual interview, it has a one-to-many impact because after this, You'll be sharing this with your audience. I'll be sharing it with mine. So the reach expands beyond that. So in that case, it's efficient for me energy-wise, but it's also effective because of the extent of reach it has. So that's an example there. Yes. So really finding that, that method that works, that can have a wide impact. Absolutely. And there are plenty of different ways to be visible. And some of them are unscalable, but can be extremely impactful. So for example, you mentioned earlier, right? So we had a cup of ketchup, which is something I do for my email list. Once a month, I open up three slots on my calendar for 20 minutes. And so that's about an hour or so out of my month, which is something that I'm always wanting to do to connect with people. I can't scale that because that means many hours a month. Otherwise, I'm just jumping on calls. So I had to really honor my personal boundaries around how much I want to give this. and so. It was efficient in regards to my energy because it's one hour, right, in total. And it's effective as well because I've learned that my reach doesn't come from breadth. It comes from depth. Mm, I love that. And you would know, you know, like after we had a chat, I do remember our chat, we took like a little selfie afterwards as well, which is cool. And then you wound up inviting me later on to this interview. 
So that's an example right there. I chose an unscalable way to be visible, which is my cup of ketchups. And then it led to an opportunity because of the depth that we got to have in our conversation. And then you liked me enough and looked at my work. I was like, you know, I'd like to invite you onto the podcast. So that's an example there of how it's sustainable visibility for me because I honor my boundaries and my capacity of when I say yes to opportunities or not. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this framework for sustainable visibility is that it's not a cookie cutter approach and that it is really, you know what I mean? Like aligned to each individual person because what works for you may not work for the next person. Like there are definitely some coaches who their thing is they go live and do live transmissions every day, or they'll also coach their people. If you want to become more visible, then you should challenge yourself by going live in like a Facebook group or online every single day for 365 days, right? And that may work for some because I've been in those containers and I'm like, and in my mind, I was like, I don't know if I could do that, right? Or in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, what if I did weekly or bi-weekly or monthly, quarterly perhaps, right? Just to like lessen the frequency, but it didn't kind of hone in to my alignment, my energy, and kind of cater it energetically. So I love how this is not a cookie cutter approach and it's a great example of how it works for you and it's really helped you thrive. Yes, absolutely. And that the examples that you just gave, you know, so they may have been effective when you were doing them, but they weren't at all energy efficient for you. And there has actually been this conversation I've had mostly underground, but it, it's, it's come to the surface every now and then around the idea of consistency, that a lot of the time when we're told to be consistent, it's normally from the perspective of frequency, like how often you're showing up. And I was like, well, what if I was consistent in terms of my intention? So because if I was consistent in terms of frequency, people would very quickly see that the quality of my work just is going down because, <laughs> because I can't do that much so often because I'm also a manifester in regards to human design and I'm not sure if you're into human design at all yes I am totally I'm a projector oh I, do you know what? I actually really connect with like projectors and manifestors very well so this is not a coincidence right here <laughs> <laughs> so with manifestors we are big initiators and innovators we don't think as if there is no box in my case it's like who said it had to be a box? Why can't it be a squiggly? Why can't it be a pattern or a shape or whatever? But the main thing is that I need a lot of rest in order to make room for my creative downloads to be initiated into the world. And so I have to do things differently because most of the population are generators, which can do a lot more. They have more of that workhorse energy where they can keep going, keep going. But I don't have that. I do not have access to that same amount of doing this, I guess. I need to rest and sit back. And so, yeah, that's why I wanted to say that around consistency, that you can absolutely think of it from a frequency perspective, but you can also, if not instead, consider consistency around the intention that you put into everything that you share. Oh, I love that. That's a total reframing. Oh, yes. Reframing can be extremely helpful sometimes. <laughs> yes, I love it. The intention versus the frequency, because it is very ingrained that it is tied to frequency. 
And that's kind of how these social media scheduling tools are thriving as well, because they're like, we can help you show up seven days a week, <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh no, because I'm very grateful to again have cultivated community who thinks so in depth and the conversation starters that often happen from my post, it goes into the DMs quite often, if not already in the comments. And I can't do that on a daily basis. Like I've unsubscribed from the urgency culture, which means I let people know, hey, you may not hear from me for weeks. It's got nothing to do with you. I'm just honoring my capacity and I want to be present for your message. So there is absolute benefit for sure when it comes to showing up frequently. So I have this uh, YouTuber that I love following. Her name's um, Inka Lam and she is producer at Tasty, right? So Tasty is one of those cooking channels and she has her own channel. And the thing is, she doesn't upload her videos on her personal channel on a obvious schedule. She'll post when she posts basically. So instead of me kind of like cycling back to her channel every Tuesday, for example, every time she does post something, I'm like, oh, what does she have? And I want my audience to find me that way where it's not like oh Mickey's posting now it's Tuesday at six o'clock let's see what she has it's like oh Mickey posted cool like after a couple of weeks <laughs> or a couple of months sometimes <laughs> and I'm very grateful for that because I don't want to bombard my audience like oh hey I'm here again here again here again here again it works for some it just doesn't work for me and for my audience, they really care a lot about how much they're consuming as well. So I don't want to bombard them just for the sake of volume. I would much rather share just from a place of value every now and then. Wow. Okay. So this is mind blowing. And this is a 100% shift in perspective because there's just so much teaching in the business of entrepreneurship in itself as it relates to frequency, as, you know, email marketing, social media, like, you know, if you want to grow your list, you should message them two times a week, weekly at least, you know what I mean? So there's all this like pressure. And then same with social media, like I was away on vacation and all I could think about was I should have scheduled one or two things or like, should I jump on and try to, and it just becomes this weight, you know? And I didn't actually share anything from my vacation until we got back. And I ended up being more present than I had planned while I was there, which is positive, but there's definitely this pressure. And I love how you're kind of changing that narrative. And also part of the reason that really drew me to this topic and to have you on here is because in your email, you were honest in sending an email to your list saying like, I haven't actually published a podcast episode since I think it was January, you said? Uh, no, December. <laughs> yeah, since <laughs> December. And you were honest about your reasons why and how you wanted to get feedback on things that people want to hear. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like this is talking to me because I had taken a break from my podcast over the Christmas holidays as well. And I was planning to restart it in February, but on a weekly basis, because I've been told you got to do it weekly. And I was like, I would love to just do it bi-weekly. <laughs> like I love generating great content, but the frequency of it doesn't align to what's going on with my kind of current life right now, I guess. Like, it's not like I don't want to give the audience lots of juicy information is just the frequency of it is not something that aligns. Like I, I just don't know how to explain it, but there was so much guilt around it. So when you opened up that conversation and that possibility that it's okay and that you yourself were in that boat, I was like, oh, 
this feels like a weight has been lifted and this is a conversation and a possibility that needs to come to light that people need to realize that there is any sort of time pressure frequency and all these terms and definitions that we learned are are there to help us but it can be shifted to work in a way that feels aligned yes and therefore sustainable right because i also changed my frequency of my podcast from weekly because i had been doing it for about 2 years weekly with very little breaks and then it was October 2021 where I changed it to fortnightly. So that's every two weeks or bi-weekly. <laughs> and actually today I'm meant to be recording an episode to, you know, for the Quiet Rebels podcast, because that's my podcast, to come back. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna just gonna sit with it just for a little bit longer because I also don't want to kind of it's very similar to what I said earlier around how I want my audience to find me and continually connect with me instead of it me bombarding on a set schedule. It's more of a, hey, I'll show up when I show up. I also want to trust that I'm not the center of people's worlds either. <laughs> you know, they have a life outside of me. And because there's a lot of self-imposed pressure as well as actual pressure that we have on ourselves to show up in this way. And when we realize like, hey, we are a part of our audience as well. Yes, but we're not the center of it. So they'll be fine <laughs> if we take a little break. And if anything, we are modeling that it's okay for them to take a break. Because that email that you're referring to, I had at least six people reach out to me very soon after reading that. Like, oh, thank you for saying this. It was almost the permission they suddenly gave themselves by seeing me talk about it. It was like, look, this is what's happening. <laughs> and it was like, oh, thank goodness. Me too. Yeah. So I have a follow-up question for you in that regard. So let's say someone's feeling that need to take a break or like the way that they show up is on their terms. Is there a need to explain that? to kind of shed insight to your audience so that they understand how you show up and how you think or, you know what I mean? Because there's two perspectives to that. Oh, 100%. So I'm definitely going to take a page out of my manifesto human design here. Something that I'm always told to, or rather reminded of, is that when basically my strategy is to inform and not ask for permission. Is coming more of a place of this is how it is versus, oh, I hope it's okay if I do this. You know, it's very different energy. So I notice a huge difference when I inform my team versus asking permission. It's the same with my audience. Like, oh, is it okay if I change what I'm like? No, it's no, this, look, this is what's happening. Okay. Yes, we've done weekly. Now we're doing biweekly. Why? Here's why. Because energetically it is not going to be sustainable for me to do this on a weekly anymore because my resources and my access to them have shifted okay also I want to be very present for the conversations we bring forward so this is why it's happening and so I would come from that perspective it's like look I'm telling you I'm not asking you <laughs> and it's very different and it can feel very uncomfortable when you're first doing it because hey I was a permission asker for most of my life so it's only in the recent years have I kind of made that shift so please don't feel that you need to do this straight away if it feels wildly uncomfortable to a point where it's like okay I want to retreat after this <laughs> it was it will probably take time to get to that point but I will say that any change I make in my business now I don't tell my audience in such a way where like I'm crossing my fingers hoping it'll be all right because 
If they didn't want to be part of my world anymore, they're more than welcome to unfollow, unsubscribe, block me even. It's up to them, but I'm not going to hold on to anyone. They can come along for the ride, but I'm not checking, looking back, hoping that every single person who first came is still there because otherwise that's just going to distract me from looking forward. So it's the same for everybody here. (laughs) I love this. And I also want to touch on a point that as much as we're talking about not needing to show up in a way that's like, you know, prescribed or handed to you, there is still an importance to showing up. So I wanted you to kind of touch on that as well, on like the importance of it and how it can still make an impact when you do show up. Because I I still want everyone to realize that what we're trying to kind of discuss here is that showing up, you don't have to follow what's prescribed and what's not. And there's a way to do it that's aligned energetically, but it's still important. And like, so it's not to say like, don't show up at all. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, when it comes to showing up, because often when people say, oh yeah, you need to be more visible, be more visible. They actually, I realized this very recently, they often speak from the perspective of it only being for lead generation, lead acquisition. And I'm like, well, visibility isn't just for that. It's also showing up for the people who are already in your world, especially your paid containers as well, which we need to allocate capacity for. So when my capacity shifted a lot in February this year, for example, because I got sick with COVID and I was out for three and a half weeks literally bedridden and it took me another week and a half to like really come back in March and it's really affected my capacity so the first thing I did when I came back was just to look at what was coming up what were new opportunities versus what opportunities have I already agreed to especially when it comes to the fulfillment of my program so my mentorship program, I had to take a pause of live calls because I couldn't get out of bed. (laughs) But I already had a backup plan anyway. So having a contingency plan is very helpful. So there was already layers of support provided for my clients, even when I wasn't physically there, which was fine. But yes, being visible is important because it's how you reach more people is how you reach people more deeply who are already in your space and that eventually is going to develop that know like and trust factor we always talk about right that oh yeah people need to know like and trust you before they even consider working with you yeah absolutely so visibility does need to happen but please don't think that it's only from a lead acquisition slash generation standpoint it's also the fulfillment part of the people who are already in your orbit as well yes and it's really like giving them that time and deepening that connection and making it a quality. Okay, so I think as a takeaway, let's say that if we wanted someone to take action and kind of move in the direction of sustainable visibility in a way that's like works for them and they can start to, you know, make those small steps to like integrate it, what would you suggest? So if we go back to the E&E, so the effectivity and the efficiency of certain opportunities, I would say pick three different types of visibility strategies you've tried, whether it's doing live streams, doing guest blogging, SEO, like SEO still counts as visibility, even though it's not active and doesn't require your face or anything, right? So there are three different, pick three different types to start and then go through each one and try to recall, was it effective and was it efficient? 
and just kind of like see what comes up for you there. Like which things would you love to do more of? What would you like to further optimize even to double down on, like put more eggs in that basket for? And which ones are you like, "Mm, I'm kind of okay if I don't do this anymore. Because when I look back in retrospect, podcast guesting is always my number one. I love doing them. A close second is doing guest workshops. So I'm doing guest workshop after this in the private community. And that is a, that's equally, it's technically a service, I guess, because it's a speaking arrangement that I've been paid for and it's a visibility opportunity in a private space. So, but if I think of, I remember when I did a guest blog post, it took me four months to write this blog post. It was great. Don't get me wrong. The end result was fantastic. If I do say so myself, but it's clearly not sustainable if it took me four months to write something that I was also very knowledgeable about. So I was like, oh, okay, interesting. This comes up a lot. It's, it's effective, yes, because of the reach, but efficiency, no. Oh, <laughs> so, yes. So yeah, just doing that kind of like little assessment for yourself. Yeah, you it's almost like a little like audit in a way, like a little reflection. And that is a great start because oftentimes it starts with just being self-aware. We don't, we're just go, go, go all the time, right? So taking a moment, and this is a really unique reflection that I think will help so many people. All right. And from your experience, do you have any lessons learned that would be helpful for our audience? I would say, think of this when you are thinking of saying yes or no. Just remember that filter question. And that is, do I have the resources and the capacity to really give this opportunity the justice it deserves and who it's for? Oh, I love that. That's great. And any final thoughts? Finish line, really. There are only milestones that you have in this journey. So it will take the time that it's meant to allow yourself to explore and meander wherever you can. And just remember that you're doing all you can with what you have. So the next time you think that you're not doing enough because of what so-and-so is doing, Remember that you have your unique combination of identities and lived experiences and skill sets that is not matched with anybody else. So be gentle and appreciate yourself for trying because we can be so hard on ourselves and we can use a lot more joy and gratitude towards ourselves in life. <laughs> so Yes, and more celebration, even those small wins. Yeah, we celebrate everything like in like when my one of my clients inside my program, she had been off Instagram for a long time, for example, and it's taken her so much courage just to even come up with a plan and also have her website redone. She's been stuck on that for a while. And because previously she had been given a lot of advice where she had to do it in this way, in this time frame, and that only made her retreat further back into herself. And so even though on the surface, it may seem as if she wasn't doing much, but I knew that underneath the undercurrent work that she was going through in order to make anything visible on the surface, it had to be acknowledged. So yeah, there's plenty of things going on that no one else will see or understand or know that you do. And so, yeah, we we need to give ourselves more credit for that. So pat yourself on the back today. (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. I'm so grateful for this conversation. And Meike, where can our listeners find you? And do you have any promos coming up? Yeah, so earlier on, I mentioned my specialty is podcast guesting. So if you are interested in learning what podcasters actually look for in great guests, if you want to experiment with this strategy, you can go to makeasign.com forward slash 25 experts, and that will guide you to a resource called Be Our Podcast Guest. So hopefully there are some Disney fans 
knowing which movie that came from, <laughs> be our podcast guest. So that's that free resource there. You can connect with me on Instagram at Sang, M-A-I-K-E-E-T-S-A-N-G. And if you're interested in looking into the sustainable visibility work in the container that I do hold, then I invite you to join the waitlist for my sustainable visibility incubator. It's opening later on this year. It's starting in October, but applications will start in August. And you can go to makeasign.com forward slash apply. And you're not actually applying, but I just kind of kept the URL the same just so that there's no broken links and stuff. It's not actually an application yet. It's just a waitlist, which of course you can choose whether or not to apply later on should you want to. But those are my options for you today. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time. Thank you for holding space and prioritizing this conversation as well. Appreciate you, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Focal Tangent Podcast. If you love this episode, be sure to rate and review the podcast and hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss the next episode. Until next time, I am your host, Natalie Amlani.